Thank you for listening to this podcast from Living Hope Church in Skokie, Illinois, featuring the preaching of Pastor Daniel Mann. For more information about our church, please visit us online at www.livinghopechicago.com. We trust that today's message will encourage you in your relationship with God. If you would find uh, Matthew chapter 6 in your Bible, if you would please, that's uh, page 707 if you're using one of the Bibles that's uh, in the pew that's provided. Matthew 6, and we are in a series right now that is entitled, Teach Us to Pray. Teach Us to Pray. And we're learning how to pray from Jesus. His disciples ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. And when, he, when they asked that question, this is what Jesus taught them. Now, the Lord's Prayer, as many called it, ought to be called the Disciples' Prayer or the Model Prayer. Because Jesus was teaching His disciples to pray, He would never have prayed this prayer. I've said that before, but I want to make sure that's clear. Jesus would never have prayed this prayer for Himself. Because in this prayer, He says, Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And Jesus had no sin to ask forgiveness from. If you want to find the Lord's Prayer, you would find that in John 17. But this is the disciples' prayer, the model prayer. In John 17, Jesus prayed what we call the high priestly prayer of Jesus when he was praying to the Father before his crucifixion and uh, offering his disciples uh, up to the Lord and praying for them and praying for those of us who would one day be his disciples through uh, the word of the Lord that would be preached through the church. But Matthew chapter 6, we're learning to pray. It's been a couple weeks since we've been in the series because we've had some guest speakers. And so uh, I've been excited to get back in this series. If you're new to this, uh, I encourage you to go to livinghopechicago.com, our website. You can listen to the first message where we dealt with uh, verse 5 through 8 about um, the type of prayer that Jesus rejects and the type of prayer that Jesus receives. We preach through that. Now we're going phrase by phrase phrase by phrase through this uh, model prayer, through the disciples' prayer, as we're learning what uh, the the prayer life is of a true disciple. There was a Sunday school teacher uh, who began her lesson with a question. She said, boys and girls, what do we know about God? And uh, one little girl shot her hand up in the air. And uh, the kindergarten teacher asked her, you know, what, what, what was it? She said, well, we know God's an artist. He's an artist. She was very adamant. God is an artist. The lady said, really, really? How do you know that God's an artist? She said, you know, because of that prayer, our Father which does art in heaven. Our Father which does art in heaven. God is an artist. Uh, God certainly is an artist, uh, but that's not what the verse teaches. We're going to look at that phrase, um, our Father which art in heaven. Now, it's very important how we begin our prayer. It's very important that as we enter into our, and I'm, when I'm talking about prayer, I'm not just talking about our corporate time of prayer, but specifically our personal time in prayer. I do hope that you and I have that regular time with the Lord in prayer. He, didn't, he said when you pray, not if you pray. It's, but it's very important how we begin, how we enter our time of fellowship with the Lord, how we start with the right focus, with the right spirit, with the right heart in prayer with the right mindset, motive to be right in prayer. Because what I've noticed is that if I start off on the wrong track in my prayer, before I know it, I am way off base of what God would have me to pray. But if through the help of the Holy Spirit, 
I will start in the way that Jesus has taught me to enter into prayer. That it affects and kind of permeates the rest of my prayer. That if I start the way that he intends, that it's much, much more likely to continue praying the way that he taught in the way that's effective, the way that brings results that Jesus desires to give to the glory of his name. Because if there's no results in prayer, then Jesus would have never had us to pray. You see, prayer is meant to be effective. Prayer is meant to bring about the work of God and the will of God on earth. God wants to accomplish His plan through our prayers. And so it's important that we follow the pattern that He's given us. Have you ever felt like, um, I know many times, as I mentioned, that I've felt like I've started off on the right track. Have you ever felt that way? Felt like you, you, you started praying and before you know it, you just kind of had to stop yourself and say, what am I really asking? What am I really even trying to, to say here? What is the real purpose that I'm doing this? Uh, don't, act like, don't look at me like I'm the only one that's ever done that, right? We've all been there and it's frustrating. It really is. It's discouraging. But I'm convinced the reason I get off track and perhaps the reason that you get off track is because we've not really followed what Jesus has taught us in regards uh, to prayer. Look with me at Matthew 6. We'll read the whole model prayer, but uh, we're going to read verse 9, and that's the, the main verse that we're going to be looking at today, but we'll read down to verse 13. After this manner, in this way, therefore pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. By the way, it's perfectly done in heaven, right? God's will is perfectly done in heaven. He says, Lord, let thy will be done that perfectly on earth. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forevermore. Amen. In this passage, Jesus taught his disciples some principles to remember for entering into prayer. Some principles to remember uh, as we enter into prayer. And you and I would do very well to learn these principles and to follow these principles as the entry point of our prayer, to make the way that Jesus taught us to begin our prayer, for that to be the way that you and I start our prayers. You know what I think is very interesting is that normally when we pray, we start with our requests, but that's not what Jesus started with. Jesus teaches us to start with our relationship and our requests follow after that. Begin, enter, start with relationship and then the requests. Very important that we remember these principles. Now, what are these principles? I think we'll see three principles as we look at these words, our Father, uh, which art in heaven. And I hope you'll write some of these down to to go back and study later, especially the scripture passages that I mentioned. Uh, Write those down. And um, if you don't have time to look at them uh, right at the moment, then you can go back and, and study them later. Three principles for how to really start prayer off right. Enter into it. Begin it the way that Jesus taught us. Number one, uh, what are these principles? As you enter prayer, number one, remember, remember your acceptance through Jesus Christ. And I put in quotation marks the word Father. Our acceptance. And before we get to our requests, we need to remember this principle that through Jesus, we are accepted with the Father. 
You know, in Matthew chapter 6, in this one chapter alone, which, which has about 34 verses, Jesus uses the word father 12 times. You know, they taught us in, uh, in Bible college. Uh, I probably should have listened a lot better. Uh, but, but I remember catching this when they're teaching us about homiletics and teaching the Bible. That when you're studying for messages, when you're preparing lessons and, and, and preparing to preach a message, look for repeated words because those are generally telling you what the topic is, what's, what's primary. If something's repetitive, if it's repeated often, then that's what's being emphasized. As you go through the Sermon on the Mount, I think it's 17 times from Matthew 5 to Matthew 7 that Jesus uses the word Father, but 12 times, 12 times in Matthew chapter 6. That's very significant. Jesus is emphasizing that believers have a special, intimate, personal relationship with God in heaven. That He is our Father. For those of us who've been born again, that we've experienced this second birth, this new birth, this transformation through Jesus Christ, that now we have a new relationship. And follow with me, because it's very important, that believers are no longer enemies with God. We were once enemies with God. But now we've gone from being enemies with God to being reconciled to God. And not just reconciled with God, but adopted by God. We are now His children. Jesus is drawing attention to the fact that we're no longer condemned. We're no longer under judgment. We're now children. He's now our Father. We now have this new and precious... You talk about a switch. You talk about a difference. I think it's in Colossians where it says that we've been translated from the chains of dark, from darkness now into the kingdom of His dear Son. Jesus is drawing attention to that. Jesus is saying that God is the father of every person who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ and experienced the new birth, that we're now accepted. And now when when we as believers pray, we need to remember that God's our father, not our fear. Yes, he is king, he is Lord. He's ruler. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, but he's not some fuhrer up there that, 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 that we don't know. That God is our Father and that we should approach him in that manner and in that way. Yes, we ought to be reverent. We'll talk about that in a minute because he is seated upon the throne. But the point, I think, that Jesus is communicating here by this continual usage of Father is that judgment is past. The war is over. And through Christ, the enmity is gone. We're not enemies any longer. God is our Father. Now, let me put a couple pictures up. Now, when you pray... When you enter your time of prayer, which of these two pictures best describes your thoughts when you're coming to God? Is this what you feel like when you're coming to God in prayer? Or is this what you feel like when you're coming to God in prayer? Is it a courtroom or family room? I mean, when you're, when you're alone, when you're in the secret place, when you're in that quiet, if you've got children, it's hard to find a secret place, right? There is no secret place. You've got to, like, bar the door, right? Liz, you know what I'm talking about? Maybe you've know, you got, got the hammer and nail every day, you know? And you, hey, I've been there, right? Carly and Colby, Daddy, Daddy. You know, hey, I'm trying to find that secret place, that alone time. Sometimes it's 3 in the morning, but, but you've got to find it, right? Get alone with God. Uh, is it courtroom or family room? Because Jesus is saying, yeah, I mean, look, He's high and holy and exalted. And we've got to keep these in balance. But Jesus is saying, He's Father. He's Father. I, you know, I love what uh, Romans 8, uh, 14 through 16 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage, again, to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, or Daddy, 
Father, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Isn't that wonderful? That, that as believers, we don't have to live in fear when coming to God. That fear is bondage. But that we can come to Him with this spirit of adoption, knowing that we belong to Him. He belongs to me. I am accepted. I am a part of His family. And that He's my Father. Now, now, not every person, this is very important, God is not the Father of every person. God is the Creator. And in, in Acts 17, Paul spoke about how that all of humanity is the offspring of God. And what he meant by that, he's talking about God is the Creator. In creation, we're all made in God's image, and He is our Creator. But the Bible doesn't refer to it in the sense that God is the Father of every person. I love what uh, Adrian Rogers once said, that, that God also created worms and rats and rodents, but He's not their Father either. And that's very true. That just because God created someone does not make Him their Father. As you read through Scripture, we become His children. He becomes our Father through salvation, through faith. And every person is either the enemy of God or a child of God. And there's no middle ground in between. Enemy of God or child of God. And the reason that we're enemies of God is because of sin. It's not because uh, God has chosen to make us His enemies. It's because we have chosen sin and sided against God. And I would say to you that if you're not certain where you stand with God, you're not certain that He's your Father, why would you leave this place today without making that certain? That God is your Father. That you're His child. That you're no longer at enmity with God. I, I know that was the case with me. There was a time that I had sided against God, that I was separated from God, that the judgment of God, according to John 3, was hovering over me. I remember being fearful of death. I remember being fearful of what was to come. I knew I did not want to stand before the Lord in the condition that I was. And I thank God for the mercy that I have found through Jesus Christ, where I have been made accepted through the merits of Jesus Christ. And now those of us, those of us that know Jesus, we can come to God and approach Him with the tenderness and the trust of a child. And the Holy Spirit is working within us, crying out in our spirit, Abba, Father. You know what that means? It's the idea that the Holy Spirit is taking your heart and He's drawing your heart and my heart to the heart of our Heavenly Father. Crying out, drawing our hearts to the heart of our Heavenly Father. Family room or courtroom? Where do you stand with God today? Family room or courtroom? I mean, because I'm afraid there are a lot of people that are calling God their Father, and we'll look at this in a little while later, but God's going to say to them one day, I I never knew you. Now, God knows everyone, right? He's omniscient. But the word know is the intimate know. Intimate know, as in, you're not my child. You don't belong to me. Very, very important. That's how Jesus begins that. Our Father. Are you accepted through Christ? Is He your Father? That's the first principle to remember as we enter in our relationship with the Father. Number two, second principle. Remember, uh, your coexistence with other believers in Christ. Your coexistence. Now, many, many Bible teachers and scholars have pointed to the fact that there are, and listen, this is very important, there are no singular pronouns in the model prayer. 
or the only singular pronouns that are used are related directly to the Father, never to the one offering the prayer, the disciple. No singular pronoun as it relates to those who are praying. Notice it with me. Look at verse 9. Our Father. Verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know, it's all the plural. All the plural. I I counted at least ten plural pronouns used from verse 9 through verse 13. And and many have, have rightly called this a family prayer. A family prayer, that as we remember that we're a part of God's worldwide family of believers in Jesus Christ. And the plural, who's this our? Who's this we? Who's this us? Was talking about our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Our brothers and sisters from the beginning of this prayer. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. What's he saying? He said, well, first start with your relationship. Our Father. I'm accepted in Christ. I belong. I'm accepted. He belongs to me. I belong to Him. I'm His child. But then He says, don't forget, you're a part of a family. Our, us, we, this plural emphasis. He's teaching us from the beginning. And if you don't struggle with this, pray for me because I do. And that's the honest truth. (laughs) But I can be very selfish. Extremely selfish. You don't believe me? Ask my wife. She's got a bookload of of, of examples to share with you. I can be forgetful of others. He's saying, don't forget others. Don't don't be selfish. Remember, you're not alone. He's teaching them this. He says, remember, you're not an only child. You're not an only child. Carly Carly and Colby are 15 months apart. And um, Carly was our first child. And... She was not only our first child, but she was the first grandchild on both sides of our family. My parents, Melissa's parents. So let's just, let's just say that there was no shortage of attention for her the first year she was born. 15 months, right? I mean, she was the very center of life when she was around all of us. I mean, she was. And she was used to getting all the attention. And um, when Colby was born... Carly learned very quickly she was not the only child anymore. And uh, no one really had to tell her that. She just kind of observed that. Melissa and I were laughing this morning. We were talking about a little bit that we, we got her from the hospital and Melissa's holding Colby. And, and Carly has never been the type of child that likes to be held a whole lot. She wants to be down. And those of you that know her, knows, she's moving around. She's, good, she's into something, right? Colby, he, he likes to be held a long time. Like he, he's just that way. They're, they're just different personalities. Well, when mommy's home and mommy's sitting there on the couch and mommy's kind of rocking Colby, Carly wants in on that, you know? Like she said, I don't really, I don't know who this new guy is here, but, but he's kind of invading my life here. And it was funny because she would start to crawl up in Melissa's lap and, and kind of just gently, but kind of moving Colby out of the way. Like, hey, big guy, you're moving in on my territory, right? She, she was learning, who's this other person? There was another child in the house. This other child needed attention, needed care. She started to learn what it means to be a big sister, to have a baby brother. She was learning to lovingly, uh, and it's still, we're all learning, right? (laughs) Lovingly coexist in a family where it's plural, where you're not an only 
only child. Philippians 2.4, Paul says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Galatians uh, 6.2, Bear ye one another's burdens. Bear ye one another's burdens. Can I give you a good Bible study sometime? Look up and find a good concordance or just, just go on Google and type in one another's from the Bible. Find you a list of Bible verses that just deal with the one another's. That's a great Bible study for you there. You'll probably find 25 or 30 of those verses. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. 1 Peter 1, 3 and 8 says, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion, or sympathy is the word there, having sympathy one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Now, the word pitiful means compassionate. Um, so he's saying be pitiful, be compassionate, be courteous. You know, I wonder how it would change our church, how it would eventually change our community, if when we prayed every day, it was no longer my bread, it was our bread. It was no longer my sins, it was not just my sins, it was our sins. It was not just lead me, it was lead us. It's not just deliver me, it's deliver us. How would that change our church, our community? If we start including in our prayer time, not just our needs, but the needs of others. I think it's a great place in our study of this passage to begin to evaluate our prayers. Do we pray selfishly? Do we pray for others? Are we mindful of their needs? I love what one commentator said about this. That he says, when we get into our time of prayer, that, that not physically, but spiritually, we're taking other people into prayer with us. That they're not there in body, but, but they're with us through prayer. And this ha- I hope this happens to you. It does with me from time to time. And, but you'll be praying and then someone's face will just pop into your mind. Someone's name. Uh, the, someone whose need has a pressing need. And all of a sudden, they're not where, with you there physically, but they're with you now. And you're, you're sitting down, you're, Lord, I, you know, I need some money. I, 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 was, I was on FanDuel last night and gambled away all of my money. And Lord, I really need your help. Lord, my, my coworker's got this nice car and mine's raggedy. Lord, can you help? And we got all these needs, right? And we're praying selfishly through our needs. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, God brings someone into our mind that has a real, real, real need. And all of a sudden we realize we're not alone. We're with our Father in prayer. But He's bringing us, we, our family together. Uh, Bible teacher Warren Wearsby offered some insights into how this may be put into practice. He said, when you pray... He said, ask yourself, is there someone who comes to mind that I have offended? That's happened to me before. Or I've been praying, maybe I'm praying about a message I'm about to preach. Maybe I'm praying about something on my heart. Maybe I'm just trying to spend some time in worshiping the Lord. The Lord brings to my mind someone that I've hurt, that I've offended, that I've wronged. All of a sudden I realize I'm not alone in this prayer time. Has that ever happened to you before? You know, Jesus said that. He said, when you come to bring your gift to the altar... He said, if you've offended your brother, he said, go ahead and just leave your gift there and go and make it right with them. And then come back and offer your gift. So ask, have I offended anyone? Is there anyone that I couldn't sit down right next to and at least have a a cordial conversation with? Is there anyone that 
I need to make things right with? Is there anyone that is at odds with me? And is there anything I can do to make that right? Have I taken the proper steps to make that right? He says the second thing, ask, am I, am I praying for something that would hurt or harm another child of God? This is interesting. You remember when... Uh, uh, James and John's mother came to Jesus and she said, Lord, I've got a request of you. I want you to make my boys to sit on either side of you when you come into your kingdom. Remember that story? She said, Lord, who's going to sit next to you in your throne? And uh, will you make it to where my two boys can sit on either side of your throne in your kingdom? You remember what happened during that? All the disciples were like, yeah, that's great. Yeah, right? No. It started this big argument. Who's the greatest? Who's, the, who's going to be top? Who's going to be the best? You know, I think sometimes that we're guilty if we're asking things for Jesus that would benefit us, but would directly hurt someone else. And I think it's a great practice to remember that when we're asking prayer, am I asking for something that is going to have a direct negative impact on someone else? And it's sifting out the selfishness. Yes, Lord, I'm praying that she would lose her job so that I can have it. Man, my neighbor's house is nicer than mine. Lord, help them to go bankrupt so I can buy their house. Probably not, right? Probably not, right? It's important that we remember this when we go to prayer that it's not just me. It's not just me. I'm not an only child. God's got a great big family, and it's growing every day by the grace of Jesus Christ. And there are many, many more that need to come to know Him. And you and I in prayer need to remember that it's our, us, and we. It's our, us, and we. We've looked at two principles. Number one, our acceptance through Jesus, Father. We've looked at our coexistence with other believers in God's family, our And then finally, this third principle is remember God's sovereign transcendence over all. But God's in heaven. Our Father, which art in heaven, in heaven. In this verse, we find both the eminence of God. Eminence meaning that God is near. He is close at hand. In in Acts 17, Paul said that he is not far from any one of us. If we would seek the Lord, we'll find him because he's not far from any one of us. In fact, he's so close that he gives us life and breath and all things. We live, we move, we have our existence because God is so near and giving us, providing that we live through him. But we also see the transcendence of God. And the word transcendence literally means like above or beyond And it's talking about the fact that God is of an essence and of a quality and of a nature that is so far superior to we who are the created beings. That He is the exalted, the high, the sovereign one above all. Jesus reminds His disciples not to get that their Father, yes, He's their Father, but He's also the one who's seated on the throne and that He's in heaven 
and that He's the one who rules and reigns, and that He is mighty and awesome, and that He is Jehovah, that He is El Elyon, which means the Lord Most High, that He is El Shaddai, He is the Almighty, that He is the mighty God. You know, there's a man named Isaiah. He was a prophet in the Old Testament. He lived about 500 years before Jesus Christ came into the world. Isaiah had the privilege of of seeing a vision of the Lord in heaven. And his experience is recorded in Isaiah 6. It says when he saw the Lord, he saw him high and lifted up. His train, or so to speak, his, his coat or garment filled this giant, what seemed to be a temple. And he said that he heard these angelic beings shouting, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah was overwhelmed by what he saw. You know, you find this this tension, this balance all through the Bible, that when people saw the glory of God, the first thing they did was fall before him, bow before him in reverence, often in fear at first. And then you see when they respond that way, that God always says, fear not. Fear not. You have this amazing balance You have this this transcendent God who is high and holy and lofted and seated upon the throne. And you have this tender father who is near and nigh. And there's no contradiction between the two. The transcendence, the sovereign transcendence of God, that he is our father. And we can come to him with this tender trust, knowing that we're accepted in Christ, but always remembering that our Father is in heaven. He is high and lifted up. And I think it's important to remember that, technically speaking, that God is not bound by time or space because He's not a physical being. So to think of it in the sense that there's a physical location of God. Because God is infinite and immense. But the idea here is of transcendence. That God is as we read earlier, who is like unto the Lord. Let me read you a couple of verses. Psalm 135, verse 5 and 6. For I know that the Lord is great, that our Lord is above all gods. Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did He in heaven and in earth and the seas in all the deep places. Uh, we read this one earlier, but Psalm 113, 4 and 5. The Lord is high above all nations, His glory above the heavens. Who is like unto the Lord who dwelleth on High. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, But our God is in the heavens. Our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever He hath pleased. Now, what's the application? If we're not careful here, if we're not careful, we can become out of balance in our attitude towards God. That we can come to Him in an attitude uh, that is not reverent. By God's grace, He wants to develop in us this maintaining of a high view of Him while knowing also that He's our Father and that we can come to Him with this tender trust. Maintaining this high view of God, but coming to Him knowing that we're accepted in Christ. We must never lose the awe of God, our awe of Him. Yes, He is our Father, but yes, He's in heaven. 
And does your praying and my praying, does it reflect both aspects of this? The imminence of God that He is near and nigh, He's my Father, but does it also reflect the fact that He is the Lord seated upon the throne? I love what uh, the hymn writer Henry Light wrote, and I love, I love old hymns as well as new songs. And he wrote these words, Praise my soul, the King of heaven. Praise my soul, the King of heaven. To His feet my tribute bring, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven, evermore His praises sing. Alleluia, praise the everlasting King. Praise my soul, the King of heaven, to his feet thy tribute bring. Ransom healed, restored, forgiven evermore, his praises sing. Alleluia, alleluia, praise the everlasting King. You know, it's a sad day in the life of a Christian when they've really lost the awe of God, when they've really lost the wonder and the marvel of how amazing he is. May we never lose that. Someone once said, as we come to a close today, someone once said that there are three heavens. The Bible speaks of three heavens. The first heaven is the earth's atmosphere where the birds fly, where the clouds dwell. The second heaven is the stratosphere or outer space where the sun and the moon and stars and planets dwell. And the third heaven is where God dwells. The third heaven is the abode of God, the home of God, the place that God dwells. And he went on to say, and I love this, He said, the first heaven we see by day, as we observe the birds and the clouds. The second heaven we see by night, as we see the stars shine. And the third heaven we see by faith. Meaning two things, that we see with the eye of faith that heaven's a real, legitimate place. And again, we're not talking about a physical location. Where are we going to fly to to find heaven? But that it's a real. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. A lot of people, they laugh that off. Like, yeah, all this heaven talk and hell talk and laugh it off as if it's just make-believe. Well, it's only because by faith is the only way you can even understand that those are legitimate and real and actual. But not only that we understand that it's real, but the only way to dwell there forever is by faith. Jesus gave us some examples or some principles as we enter into prayer. Our acceptance through Christ. He's our Father. God's our Father. Our coexistence with other believers. Our and the sovereign transcendence of God that He is in heaven. Let me share with you some verses before we close here. Matthew 7. Turn with me. In fact, you're in Matthew 6. Turn with me to Matthew 7. Matthew 7. Our Father, which art in heaven. That's how Jesus says we're to begin our prayer. Not just repeating those words, because he said after this manner, he's giving us a pattern to pray, some principles to follow. But look what he says here in the next chapter, chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Can you imagine spending eternity separated from God? 
was a chilling thought. And what's even more chilling than that is just a few verses prior to that in verse 13. Jesus said, Enter ye at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So not only is it a chilling fact to think that there are going to be many who are separated from God, Jesus says that it's the broad way. That's where the majority are headed, and it's the few that truly know Him. So can I ask you this question? Do you belong to God, truly and sincerely? And they're not just words, religious words. You can say with sincerity, He's my Father. He's my Father. Through the blood of my Savior, through the redeeming work of Jesus, He is truly my Father. If you can't say that, I would just strongly encourage you not to leave this place today before you have repented and trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Making certain once and for all, hear me on that phrase, making certain once and for all. You know, I find that there's a lot of people that think that it's kind of like this, it's something I do every week. You know, like, like, like God's my father this week and, and he's not that week. And, or that it's, I'm, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of earning my way to being in his family. Earning my way. No. Last passage I want you to turn to. Turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Some of you may be thinking today, you're saying, Pastor Daniel, that this very day I could be a part of God's family, know that for certain, and have my eternity secured through Jesus Christ. I I say to you, absolutely. Absolutely. It's not something you work up to. Now, sometimes it's a process of God bringing us to Himself. But the Bible says that we pass from death into life. There's a a moment that we are born again. A moment that we are transformed and become His own. A moment that we were dead. A moment that we are made alive. And look what He says here. Verse 12. John 1, 12. But as many as received Him, that is received Jesus, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. There's this powerful transformation that takes place. The moment someone repents, receives Jesus, believes on his name, they become a son or daughter of God, a child of God. If you don't know him, you can know him today. How? By receiving Jesus. By placing all of your faith, not in our church or any other church, not in any baptism, not in taking communion, but in putting it all in Jesus, you can have eternal life. That is God's promise. The second thing is those of you and I who know Christ as Savior, what was what the application for us? Those of us that know Him, he's, God is our Father. Our, our action step is to take this message with us home. 
And as we enter into our time of prayer this week, and as we're getting alone with God in the secret place, not to begin with our requests, but begin with our relationship. Enter into that with realizing that through Christ we have been accepted. He's my Father. I can come with tenderness and trust knowing that I'm accepted. Remembering that I'm a part of a family and I'm not to be selfish and taking just my own thoughts, but the needs of others. And always keeping that praise and exalted view of God that He is exalted in heaven. If you committed your life to Jesus Christ today or made a spiritual decision, you'd like to know about it contact us online at www.livinghopechicago.com. We hope you will join us next time for another encouraging message from God's Word.